The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska Sims, the EMEA editor at Provoke, and I'm joined remotely in London today, or thereabouts, by George Coleman, the co CEO of Current Global, which was formed last year by the merger of two of Interpublic's PR firms, US based Current Marketing and Weber Shanwick Unit Creation, which George founded. Um, hi, George. Hello. Um, now, you're my first podcast since lockdown for some reason, so thank you for getting me back in the saddle, as it were. <laughs> you're very welcome. Um, and it's lovely to reconnect again. When we chatted last week, we, we hadn't spoken for a while, and we did work sort of together at, at Weber Shanwick, and I think we were actually at a number of Sabre Award dues together, <laughs> funnily <laughs> we enough. Well, yes. Um, how are you doing? How's lockdown treating you and the team? Um, okay. I mean, it's, it's tough. I'm not going to lie. It's, um, you know challenging environment to, to be doing work and uh, challenging at home with two young kids doing homeschooling um, oh. but you know we're, we're powering through I think uh, you know I've just been really impressed uh, with all of my colleagues just how everyone's just getting on with things and I, I honestly think that we'll come out of this period much stronger much closer as a as a team so there is a little bit of a, a silver lining but uh yeah, looking forward to uh, certainly the pubs opening. That's that's my that's my big focus for the next <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> it's the overwhelming focus of everyone in the PR industry in London and uh, and the UK at the moment. I think it's like when can we go and sit in a pub garden, and then it will at least start to feel slightly normal. And the silver lining feels a little bit closer too. Absolutely. Um, now I've got you on today, apart from the fact that it's lovely to catch up. That uh, you you made a recent comment to me that. Twitter is not the country and at the moment the platform um, and social in general is loaded with um, unconscious bias, tribalism, we're living in very challenging febrile political and social um, times. What's your thinking about this? Yeah I mean it was just it's just a really provoking uh, phrase Twitter is not the country and you know someone said that in response to someone else's post where they had made a sweeping generalization about how the, the UK general population was feeling about a, a certain issue. Yeah. And, and, and that just really struck a chord that someone even has to say that, that you know, people are basing their opinions and stating them as fact on the sample base of, of Twitter. And, and I think that comes to uh, a challenge that we all face, which is our unconscious biases. You know, we always uh, have a desire to seek confirmation. Uh, we instinctively react positively to things that um, uh, and people that we agree with, you know, that add credence to our world point of view, and that gives us a sense of conformity. Um, but it also means that we sometimes turn a blind eye to information that may challenge our assumptions. And I think right now, more than ever, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, Twitter, the media, all sources of information becoming much more polarized. Mm. And my, my worry is, as professionals, how do we get to that core truth so we can provide proper strategic consultancy to our clients if we're if we're acting to opinions that are, are deeply entrenched in those unconscious biases you know there is a risk that we're perhaps taking a, a false read from that um, there, there's a, a guy called bob hoffman you may be familiar with him he, he calls himself the uh, ad contrarian but he talks about this problem as you know marketing by selfie stick narcissism disguised as strategy 
And that because, um, you know, we, we tend to operate in our own little bubbles, if we're disconnected from that audience, what we generally tend up doing is coming up with ideas uh, for campaigns that appeal to ourselves, mm. you know, rather than really truly understanding what's going to move the, the needle for the, for the clients. And I'll give you an example um, of, of some of those challenges. I mean, in the US, more than half of all consumer spending is uh, done by people over the age of 50. Yet only 10% of all marketing activity is aimed at that group. Yeah. And five times as much is spent on marketing to millennials. You know, so even that basic assumption of you know, where the money is uh, can often be wrong. And that extends into our understanding of other consumer behaviors, habits, and so forth. And I just think now more than ever, you know, when we're, we're in this really challenging environment, we've, we've got a really clearly focused on having that objective um, point of view, have a true command of the facts and truly understand what our audiences are thinking and feeling on behalf of our clients. Um, I saw a survey a couple of weeks ago um, by another agency that found that seven out of 10 consumers would stop buying products or services from a brand they perceived to behave irresponsibly mm. during the during the crisis so if we if we if we are ingesting all of that uh, unconscious bias that that sort of very um, uh, strong opinion um, which isn't necessarily reflective of that audience then you know we could end up uh, uh, having a misstep on behalf of our clients or or those in-house teams signing off on campaigns that that may be um, challenging and I yeah. think this is Sorry, carry on. So I was going to say, and this was a problem before the crisis, but I think, you know, just seeing that that comment, Twitter is not the country, just really sort of, for me, brought to the fore again some of these problems that I, I think have been pretty long-term within our industry. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And Hoffman's words are... Uh, you know absolutely spot on and I think there's probably I don't know what you think about this it's it's been exacerbated through the current period because we don't have that kind of sense check of actually being in a room with anybody else as well it's you know we're we're living virtually social is particularly for our industry mm. and the media is is almost like a bit of a lifeline so it's even more tempting than ever to think of that as reflective of the wider population because we're not out there I mean when, like you said we're not even in a pub with other people who might <laughs> hold different views and don't have a Twitter account so there's not that kind of um there, there's not that sense checking going on that mm. are, are we really are we really plugged in why do you think that why do you think that the industry is kind of so bad at really understanding audiences we've got a lot of tools now which means mm. we should be better at this and, and not just relying on our own bubbles yeah well i think there's two reasons i think the first is just a um a challenge with um who we are as an industry so on, on pretty much every ethno demographic dimension we're not like the audiences that we're trying to engage yeah. so you know I, I always read the pr ca census when it comes out and in the uk you can see that divergence between the uk PR practitioner population and the general population. Um, so the median age of a PR professional is 33. Uh, the median age of the UK population is 40. Um, we're four and a half times more London centric. Mm -hmm. So around 58% of all PR jobs are based in London, but that's only 13% of all jobs in the UK. Um, 
were three times more likely to have gone to private school uh, than a, a state school and so on and so forth. So as a, as a community, we don't necessarily have that diversity. And so we don't really truly represent those audiences. So there's more uh, of a risk that those unconscious biases come to the fore because we don't necessarily have the understanding and empathy to challenge those uh, unconscious biases. Mm. So I think that's, that's one problem. The, the second problem, and I, and I think you're entirely right, that during this lockdown, we, we've become even more disintermediated from those audiences and perhaps ever more reliant on um, using data. Mm. And those data tools, analytic tools, are great. You know, they, they give us a huge range of, of information, but often it's the small data that really matters. So we have a lot of uh, data that rationalizes what people are talking about, how they state their feeling and so on and so forth. But unless you're speaking directly to that audience, you don't necessarily uh, know exactly what they've internalized. And you kind of miss out, miss out more on that um, emotional uh, aspect of decision-making. And um, you know, emotions are really important for us in making decisions. Um, <clears throat> there's um, a, a famous study that was done in, in 2000 that found when people had brain damage to the area of the brain where emotions were generated in processes, they were still able to function perfectly normally. Um, but they, they, because they couldn't generate emotions, they, they struggled in, in decision-making. They yeah. couldn't even decide what to have for lunch. And around 90% of that process of decision-making is, is emotionally driven. So if we are that disintermediated, we've got lots of data, but we don't necessarily understand the emotional need states that lie behind that, that data, then there's a risk again that we, we um, pursue a certain strategic avenue that may not actually influence behavior in the way that we want it to. So I, I think those two things in tandem are, are real, real challenges for us. So let me just go back to your first point about that diversity and then we'll talk about that, that other mm. way seeing how human beings work and, and who else we might need to work with to, to do this better. Um, there seems to me over the past couple of weeks, there's a real will now in the industry and mm. a real understanding as the Black Lives Matter protests continue. And there's a real spotlight on what true diversity means, particularly in our industry, which has struggled with it <laughs> systemically forever. Um, there does seem to be a real drive to, to want to take action now, have mm. more voices within agencies and comm teams from black and ethnic minority groups, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Do you think that will, will um, or probably different ages as well, given the difference you're saying in you know, who's making the creative and who's buying the stuff. Do you think all of that will help if that translates into a better diversity within comms teams? Uh, absolutely. I think, I think it's a, it's, um, strategically and morally an imperative you know to have that, that diversity within our own teams and I, I think that's critically important but I also think it's about us as individuals and in, in embracing diversity in ourselves there's a, a, a an American author called Nathan Rutstein who uh, said that prejudice is a emotional commitment to ignorance and, and by that you know, you can only really challenge your prejudices, your unconscious biases through understanding and the ability to empathize. Mm. So it's not just good enough to have a diverse team. We've got to be able to embrace that diversity ourselves. And so we have to go and seek out 
and learn from other people's learned uh, lived experiences. We have to be able to put ourselves uh, in other people's shoes and, you know, as they say, walk a mile in their shoes. Mm. Um, and, and that will help us be better professionals, will help us tackle client assignments in a more effective way, but also be uh, more uh, impactful members of the communities we serve. So I, I, I think diversity in terms of team mix, critically important, can't, can't uh, you know, overemphasize that but it has to extend to every single person in their team. And there's something that we can all do, a positive action we can all take. And it is to understand real people and real lives. And the more we do that, the, the, the better things will be. And I, the word empathy has come up a lot for us uh, as an organization mm. of the research we've carried out since uh, the pandemic hit, um, particularly in the West is around how, uh, internal external comms the tone of it and uh, the leadership within organizations has got to become more more empathetic so it kind of feels like that might accelerate of its own um uh, at its own pace as well as a result of all of this that we're starting to see each other more as human beings and not just mm. as um you know individuals or cogs within a greater a greater machine so i wonder if i wonder if actually it might help on as many levels as it's hindering yeah. you know wider understanding yeah i mean i mean at the end of the day communications is fundamentally a human endeavor you know it's about establishing a connection with another human person and it's an exchange of information or ideas and based on that exchange it may uh, provoke someone to think feel or act differently as a, as a consequence but it's, it's a human endeavor. Mm. So I, I would argue that this is really mission critical to us as PR professionals. If we want to be great communicators, we have to have that deep human understanding. So I, I think, you know, it's not a question of um, just responding to external events. I think this is a long-term mission for, for every single professional um, in the way that we, we serve our, our clients. Um, so, so I think, I think you're right. It, it has to be a leadership focus, but it has to be at the culture, core of the culture of the agency too. And I, and I think clients are increasingly looking for that and, and demanding that agencies are able to bring that kind of thinking, that empathetic worldview to help them, uh, understand, you know, whether this is the right campaign to run. And often we find clients are operating under tremendous pressure, you know, They've got to move quickly. They're often working to short-term business uh, requirements. You know, we, we in the West have that rhythm of quarterly uh, financial reporting and, and so on and so forth. So that they're, they're often very focused on all of those internal requirements and having to move at speed. So I, I think it's really incumbent on the agency partner to bring that human understanding. And that's not a short-term thing. It's not good enough just to say, um, this particular audience is thinking this way, is behaving this way for these reasons. You've got to understand what that picture looks over the long long term. And I think that's, that, that's the um, unique thing that we can bring uh, to our client work uh, as, as an agency. So it's not a it's not short-term fix. It's something we have to mm. develop and deepen over the longer term. Um, I've, I've got a great belief that the PR industry is full of 
some of the smartest and most curious and creative and you know we're all natural blenders of several disciplines mm. I think just being in this industry but there, there are obviously other disciplines and other specialists that we can bring in to help us I mean we've talked a bit about behavioral science here yes. who, who else can we bring into our teams and our industry who's kind of on the periphery or not even being kind of invited in at the moment to help serve clients in the way that they're now demanding yeah, I mean, I think there's a very broad range of, of navigators, I would call them, that, that can help us um, better understand lived experiences, to understand the motivations of our audiences, and so forth. Um, so I think we, we need to tap much more into dip, disciplines like ethnography, uh, anthropology, social science, and, and in particular, behavioral science. Um, and I think within those different disciplines, often it helps us navigate uh, that emotional set of needs or states that are or, or audience that are important to our audiences and so i i think it's really incumbent on us to um, bring that expertise in into the mix on behalf of our clients uh, at the appropriate moments um, and, and i agree with you i, th I think we we are very good uh, at absorbing learning and embracing um, different ways of, of thinking but I, I do think we have to be purposeful mm. in seeking out that that kind of specialist expertise um, for, for all of our campaigns. And there's another area of course where PR has been doing this for a few years now which is bringing in outside expertise from um, data science and mm. um, uh, analysis of, of data to inform creative and data-driven creative is now obviously kind of you know what it one of the buzzwords in the industry that that's not always that successful though is it there's there's lots of reasons why bolting a, uh, a team of, uh, of, of of data geeks onto the side of a creative <laughs> agency hasn't always been as smooth a journey as everyone would hope what how do we build those bridges and make that connection smoother yeah, I think I think um, part of it is uh, understanding the approach to generating the right kind of data, and so the um, you know people who are working on a, a client campaign need, really need to work hand in glove with the with the data nerds um, to to shape the appropriate information that's being gathered, and by that I I often. I often see that what um, people do is they ask questions of an audience about what matters to them rather than listening to an audience about what matters to that audience. And, and it's a nuance, but it's important. If you ask a question, you're going to get a, a specific answer, but that doesn't necessarily give you that full picture. You don't necessarily know what you don't know. So mm -hmm. I think we have to complement uh, advanced analytics techniques with some of the the different disciplines that we've just touched on you know we we need to complement the um you know gathering ingesting of vast amounts of data with those focus group sessions mm. or as you said taking someone down the pub and having a chat because there's a lot of serendipity often in those conversations but you'll get into what people have internalized rather than just what they express externally and sort of coming back to to where we um, started, you know, often on, on social media, people will signal something because of, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's all about social proof. They want to mm. have that conformity. 
So if you looked at what they're signaling and you say, right, well, I think they believe X, but the reality is if you, if you go and went and spoke to them, bought them a pint, can't wait, mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> bought them a pint, have, have that natter, then things will surface that you wouldn't necessarily have instantly recognized. So I think, I think you can't simply see data and analytics as a, as a, as an adjunct. I think it has to be deeply integrated. It has to be part of the team. And I think the data scientists would learn as much from the, from the um, account team and, and vice versa. And then you'll end up with, with much better results. So, so I, think, I think the approach has to be very much embedded in that way. Um, and then the, the second piece I think is, is, you know, is, is trying to, to, do, to do this in a way that works with clients. And, um, and, and again, I think this goes back to the challenges of speed, short-term um, priorities versus that longer-term understanding of an audience where you can see that data, you can see that trends and how they evolve over time. And that indicates perhaps uh, certain shifts in behavior or thinking amongst an audience that you can then anticipate and perhaps create some white space for you mm. to construct your com campaigns around. I'm a great believer in white space for doodling on. Um, <laughs> what are the barriers to doing all this stuff better? Does it come down to client budget? I think in part there is a cost impl implication um, and you know I think um, you know that that really depends um, partly on, on how uh, a client organization perceives the role of communications or, or PR you know whether whether we're a tactical delivery mechanism or actually a strategic part of of that team and have a seat at the uh, senior table. Mm. Um, so I think I think I think that that's that's really key. I think the other thing is, you know, I, I've talked about the fact that you know we end up doing marketing by selfie stick. We fall into that unconscious trap of wanting to market ourselves to ourselves, and I think that applies on the on the client side too. Sometimes it's just a little bit uh, uncomfortable, perhaps, to to challenge some of our assumptions. But it's it's so important. Um, because the, 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 the truth is that the vast majority of consumers care very little about the vast majority of brands. Uh, so there's research done by Havas uh, a couple of years ago that found three in four consumers wouldn't care if three quarters of brands disappeared. Wow. Um, and and on, on, the, on the business to business side, 60% you know, of clients are emotionally indifferent to their suppliers. That's a bit of a blow for everybody who talks about <laughs> brand love, isn't it, really? I mean, that's quite an uncomfortable truth. There's, there's probably, right. there's very little way of really generating an emotional bond between your audience and your brand, whatever sector you're in. That's, that's, not, what we've, that's not what we've been talking about in PR recently, is it? <laughs> no, and, 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 and that's, a, that, that's a difficult conversation then to have further up the, the, the chain in, in an in-house environment, you know, going to the CMO and saying, look, this is the reality. But, but it's important because you need to understand whether, you know, your target consumers are having a functional relationship, you know, they love the product, or do they actually generally have more of an emotional bond with the brand itself? And so you can tailor your, your strategy and tactics accordingly. Um, so, so I think that, you know, part of, part of the challenge here is just sometimes you don't necessarily want to find out exactly what, what that audience thinks because oh. it, it may be uncomfortable. Um, so, and, and, 
you know, and I, and I think it's also part of a evolution of the, the way we think and become more sophisticated in, in communications that transition from PR being a very tactical part of the mix to, you know, increasingly uh, or often being the lead strategic or creative agency. So I think that will shift over time, but it's budget, it's a certain, you know, uh, lack of willingness perhaps to challenge some assumptions. And then to think about um, the audience through through the lens of PR and what we can add to that understanding um, to assist across the broader marketing mix. And just to just to sum up, George, what do you think? And end on, on a more positive note. What what uh, other than consumers do not care? Um, what's the opportunity here for the industry if we can kind of start cracking some of these things open? I, I think that um, PR professionals in general are super well equipped to uh, understand audiences in a much deeper meaningful way than perhaps other parts of the marketing mix i i think you know we we we're intuitive we have the right instincts um, we have the right capabilities sort of experiences um, to really help our our clients better understand how to impact behavior Um, so i think the opportunity is there for us to be at the center of that that audience centric model of telling stories of earning attention um, and creating ideas that can travel across every different channel um, because I think inherently we, we we should be at least less less disintermediated less further away than the audiences than perhaps our, our friends and colleagues in in other other kinds of agencies across the the marketing spectrum cool. so I think there's a huge opportunity. I think we just we just need to to embrace it and you know going back to what nathan rutstein said you know make an emotional commitment to understanding and empathy rather than to ignorance and if we do that and can bring that to our client campaigns i think it'll be transformative amazing thank you george and thanks for making the direct correlation between successful pr work and the pubs being open again <laughs> i think we all, we all need to hear that um thanks so much for joining me today take care of yourself it's really lovely to catch up yeah you too thanks Ma. take care you've been listening to the provoke podcast brought to you by provoke media and produced by the international broadcast specialist marketers.